Hello and welcome once again to the Nightlight Podcast. By far the most popular post on this channel is my audiobook reading of the Book of Enoch. So this is another show, especially for those of you who are particularly interested in this most ancient and mysterious of books. With me once again, speaking to me from his home in Scotland, is Stephen Strutt, author of Enoch Insights. Nightlight Insights. Welcome back to Nightlight, Stephen. This is your third show on the Book of Enoch, and we're only just getting started on all that you could share about this amazing book. It is a subject matter which is infinite, quite honestly, the Book of Enoch. It's just infinite. But today I'd like to just remind the viewers that we had one class on the watches. That class we did got a lot of attention from people, and that was just three chapters. That was uh, just from Enoch 6, 7, and 8. This time I'm going to see if we can cover from chapters 9 to 16 of the book of Enoch. Super. And we will indeed cover the throne of God, which is incredible. But I thought it important to lead up to this because I'd like people to understand that God is not a pushover. Amen. In modern times, it looks like God's sitting on the throne somewhere, all evil's happening, all hell's happening, and God's taking a holiday. Right. And I think that is the view that the Satanists and the devils and the demons and these idiots that run the planet, they think that's how God is. Oh, we just do what we want. They've got a surprise coming, and this is where you will read what happened the first time when they had that attitude. What happened to them? So, without further ado, we'll start here in the Book of Enoch, Chapter 9. Okay, Book of Enoch, Chapter 9. And then Michael, Uriel, Raphael, and Gabriel looked down from heaven, saw much blood being shed upon the earth, and all lawlessness being wrought upon the earth. And he said to one another, the earth made without inhabitant cries the voice of their crying up to the gates of heaven. Now to you, the holy ones of heaven, the souls of men make their suit, saying, Bring our cause before the Most High. And he said to the Lord of ages, Lord of lords, God of gods, King of kings, and God of ages, the throne of thy glory stands unto all the generations of the ages, and thy name holy and glorious, blessed unto all ages. I put a note here, isn't that interesting, talks here about Lord of Lords, when you got in Revelation 19.16, and he hath on his vesture on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's quite remarkable in this book of Enoch, how much it mentions things about the Lord. Yes, I noticed that as well, the Lord's mentioned so many times. Incredible. And that was another class we did last time on how many times the Son of Man, or Jesus, has mentioned the book of Enoch. I know it's amazing. And viewers, if you missed that previous show, it's called The Book of Enoch, Unpacking Its Powerful Prophecies. And if you scroll back 23 shows on the Nightlight playlist, you'll find it there. And if you missed it, you really should check it out. That was a lot of fun doing that one. <laughs> anyway, this chapter here, the rest of it, if you can imagine the angels of God, they've been seeing all the absolute terrible things that the fallen angels and their sons of the giants have been committing on the earth. We can only guess how many people, maybe hundreds of thousands of people, getting killed and murdered by these giants that are totally uh, carnivorous, monsters. Finally, the angels of God, the top angels, these are the top angels I mentioned before, Michael, Uriel, Raphael, Gabriel, some of the angels of the presence, there's seven of them, as far as I know. There's four of them. Anyway, they come before the throne of God and they say, you are king of kings, you are the one who knows everything, 
and you say nothing to us about all this terror that's going on on the earth. Doesn't that sound a lot like a lot of us? Well, we don't understand what's going on in our own lives. And they, hey, God, are you not noticing what's happening? It's true. Well, it's the same thing here. It's the same thing here with the, with the angels of God. They come to him. I think and I put here, this is what I said in my comment number two to chapter nine in Enoch Insights. In the above verse, it's almost as if God has been thinking and pondering his options concerning the horrors of violence going on down below on the earth. When his angels mentioning the very grave nature and condition of the fallen earth to God, it triggers a pre-planned response from God himself. It's almost as if he was saying, ah, I've been waiting for you archangels to be concerned enough about the situation on earth to challenge me to do something about it. Interesting. And of course he did immediately react strongly. Now we go to chapter 10. I'm skipping over most of the chapter. I'm only giving a few verses each chapter because I want to get through all the material. Chapter 10, verse 1. Then said the Most High, the Holy and Great One spoke and sent Uriel, in Jewish it's Ariel, is the angel of Israel, right? And sent Uriel to the son of Lamech and said to him, Go tell Noah and tell him in my name, hide thyself, and reveal to him the end that is approaching, for the whole earth will be destroyed, and a deluge is about to come upon the whole earth, and I will destroy all there's upon it. Verse 2, And now instruct him that he may escape, and his seed may be preserved from all the generations of the world. And again the Lord said to Raphael, another archangel, Bind Azazel, hand and foot. He was the leader of the fallen angels. At least the first 200 of them. Right. Cast him into the darkness, and make an opening in the desert, which is in Dudael, and cast him therein, and place upon him rough and jagged rocks, cover him with darkness, and let him abide there forever, cover his face that he may not see light. God's given the instructions that he's going to deal with these fallen angels, especially these first 200 fallen angels. So that's what happens in this chapter, and a lot of other things as well. I'll go now to verse 3. Here's a very interesting verse. It says here, And on the day of the great judgment, he should be cast into the fire. Talking about Azadel. And heal the earth with the angels of corrupted. Proclaim the healing of the earth that they may heal the plague. And all the children of men may not perish through all the secret things that the watchers have disclosed and have taught their sons. And the whole earth has been corrupted through the works that were taught by Azazel. To him ascribe all sin. Do you know why it says that? Because earlier on, Azazel and the fallen angels in the beginning, they made a pact together that none of them individually get blamed for what was going on. We didn't work that way. God says, no, no, the leader gets the blame, Azazel. He thought by having a pact together and agreed together, they could sort of dilute the blame sort of thing. But God could see through Azazel's plan. Yeah, it didn't work. Right. It amazing how stupid the fallen angels are sometimes. For beings that were supposed to be so smart, how come they are so dumb? I know. It's hard to believe. And the same with their sons, the, the giants who became the disembodied spirits or the demons. That's how it's happened through history. Here's a great verse you need to know here. This is a key verse. Look at this verse here. Well, God had a great plan here in chapter 10, 5. And to Gabriel, another archangel, said the Lord, Proceed against the bastards and the reprobates, and against the children of fornication, and destroy the children of fornication, the children of the watchers, which were giants, from amongst men, cause them to go forth, Send them the one against the other, that they may destroy each other in battle. For length of days they shall not have. So that's how God got rid 
of all those sons of the fallen angels, the giants who became also the gods and maybe goddesses, it's questionable. But all that sort of things you hear about by the Roman mythology and Greek mythology, it's not mythology. A lot of truth to it. That's right. So that has captured a lot there of chapter 10. I'm moving pretty fast as you see through these chapters because I want to get just a few key verses for you to be very knowledgeable about. Right, chapter 12, verse 1. Before these things, Enoch was hidden, and no one of the children of men knew where he was hidden, and where he abode, and what had become of him. And his activities had to do with the watchers, and his days were with the holy ones. This is amazing, because Enoch spent a lot of time with the good watchers in heaven, but he also talked with the bad watchers, the fallen angels on the earth, and told them off. I mean, never a thing like this happened in history. Only with Enoch. That you had a guy who could tell the demons of hell and the devils off to their faces, you know? Interesting. These days, we just rebuke them. In the name of Jesus, we don't talk with them. Big difference. Look at this in chapter 12, verse 2. And I, Enoch, was blessing the Lord of majesty and the king of the ages, and lo, the watchers called me. Now, this is the good watchers. Enoch, scribe of righteousness, go declare unto the watchers of the heaven who have left the high heaven and holy eternal place, defy themselves with women, and have done as the children of earth do, and take unto themselves wives. Ye have wrought great destruction on the earth, and ye shall have no peace for forgiveness of sin. And inasmuch as they delight themselves in their children, and the murder of their beloved ones shall they see, and over the destruction of their children shall they lament, shall make supplication unto eternity. But mercy and peace you shall not have. Nightlight, keeping you in tune with the times. Okay, now I'm going to skip chapter 13. And you'll see why in a minute. I'm going to go now to chapter 14, which is the one that talks about the throne of God. The book of the words of righteousness and of the reprimand of the eternal watchers in accordance with the command of the Holy Great One in that vision. I saw in my sleep what I will now say with the tongue of flesh and with the breath of my mouth, which the Great One has given to men to converse therewith and understand with the heart. Verse 5. And a vision was shown to me thus, Behold, in the vision clouds invited me, and a mist summoned me, and the course of the stars and lightning sped and hastened me, and the winds in the vision caused me to fly and lifted me upward and bore me into heaven. Sounds like a nice trip going up to heaven. I'd like to do that right now. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't we all? (laughs) In the midst of this crazy world, it'd be great fun, wouldn't it? And I went in till I drew nigh to a wall which is built of crystals and surrounded by tongues of fire. And it began to affright me. And I went into the tongues of fire and drew nigh to a large house which was built of crystals. And the walls of the house were like tessellated floor, made of crystals, and its groundwork was of crystal. Its ceiling was like the path of the stars and the lightnings, and between them was a fiery cherubim. Oh, we've heard about them before in the book of Revelation, also in Ezekiel and the book of Isaiah. Their heaven was clear as water, and a flaming fire surrounded the walls, and its portals, look at portals, blazed with fire. And I entered into that house, and it was hot as fire and cold as ice. There was no delights of life therein. Fear covered me, and trembling got a hold of me. And as I quaked and I trembled, I fell upon my face, and behold a vision. And lo, there was a second house, greater than the former, and the entire portal stood open before me, and was built of flames of fire. And every respect it so excelled in splendor and magnificence and extent that I cannot describe to you its splendor and its extent. And its floor was of fire, and above it were lightnings and the path of the stars 
and its ceiling also was flaming fire. It reminds me of Revelation 4-5. And out of the throne proceed lightnings and thunderings and voices. Verse 10. And I looked and saw therein a lofty throne. Its appearance was as crystal, and the wheels thereof as a shining sun. And it was the vision of the cherubim. And from underneath the throne came streams of flaming fire, so I could not look thereon. And a great glory sat thereon, and his raiment shone more brightly than the sun was whiter than any snow. Wow, awesome. I'm reading straight from my book at the moment, chapter 14, and I'll continue to read the verses I put there, because they talk about the same thing. Ezekiel, Daniel, Revelation, they all talk about the same thing as the book of Enoch. That's right. Ezekiel 1.13, As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, and like the appearance of lamps, and went up and down among the living creatures. The fire was bright, and out of the fire went forward lightning. Daniel 7, 9. I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the ancients of days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. Revelation 1, 14. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes was a flame of fire. Revelation 1, 15. And his feet were like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice was the sound of many waters. Revelation 4, 6. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes and behind. Now you can see from reading this how consistent the Bible and the book Enoch are telling the same story about the throne of God, what it's like. It's crystalline. There's crystalline buildings around it. There's four beasts there. And Ezekiel 1 and Ezekiel 10 give a fantastic description of the throne of God and his traveling, I don't know what you want to call it, the way God travels around the universe. Uh, right, it's amazing. <laughs> very interesting, but uh, it's described in Ezekiel 1 and 10 and also in Isaiah, uh, but that's something you can follow up more on later. Nightlight. What a delight. So the point is the throne scene is magnificent and beautiful and crystalline, and we've heard of these things before, believe it or not, but that's another story. I could tell you that there are, there's been described crystalline cities below the earth. How did they get there? Well, that's another topic I won't go into now, but I'll talk about one of my next books about the paranormal, about there are crystalline cities and other places being observed by others. Wow. So it seems like crystals and crystalline cities, like the heavenly city, there's a reason why they're made of crystal. Anybody who knows about radio waves and that will know that that's what they use to make the most basic radio, a crystal. Because it has a lot of powers, and there was powers of crystals used before the flood. They had advanced technology before the flood, especially in the last 500 years, as a direct result of the fallen angels interfering with God's creation. And so all those ancient stories of gods and, and goddesses and powers and things, they're not imaginary. They did happen. Yeah, I believe it. So anyway, here's chapter 15. And so here's God talking to Enoch, and he said, And he answered me, and he said to me, and I heard his voice, Fear not, Enoch. Thou righteous man and scribe of righteousness, approach hither and hear my voice. Go to say to the watchers of heaven, who have sent thee to intercede for them, you should intercede for men, not men for you. The fallen angels had sent Enoch to talk to God and try and get off. Good luck with that. Reminds me of that modern movie Noah, where they try to make out that the bad angels are going to get back into heaven. Nothing doing. And I'll tell you in a minute why. So you, these, the spirits of these fallen angels are trying to make excuses why they should get back into heaven. And they've tried it time and time again. They tried the Tower of Babel. Right? They tried to get in there. You see what they said. 
about getting back into heaven, back there, Tower of Babel. But there's a big reason why God has not forgiven them. A big reason. I'll cover that in the, at the very end. Very interesting. There is God saying to the fallen angels, Though you were holy, spiritual, living the eternal life, you had defiled yourselves with the blood of women and begotten children with the blood of flesh, and as the children of men have lusted after flesh, as those also do die and perish. Therefore I give them wives also, that they might impregnate them and beget children by them, that thus nothing might be wanting to them on earth. That's talking about people on the earth, why they need wives. But he's told the fallen age, you don't. You didn't need wives on the earth. That's another whole debate in itself about that. I won't get into that right now. What actually happens in heaven? Is the male, is the female, are the children born there? Big topic, huh? I won't get into it now. It's quite controversial for a lot of people. But I think the fact that the fallen angels could come down and be with the physical women, it shows something interesting. But we can talk about that on another occasion. Okay, looking forward to it. But anyway, God says here, You were formerly spiritual, living the eternal life, in immortal for all generations of the world. Therefore, I have not appointed wives for you. For as for the spiritual ones of heaven, in heaven is their dwelling. But as for the spirits of the earth, which were born upon the earth, on the earth shall be their dwelling. Now look, get this bit, what it says now. This is important. And the spirits of the giants. Now wait a minute. The spirit, when the giants died in battle, they went downwards and they got stuck in a realm down there. Call it Hades, whatever you want, but they couldn't go anywhere else. And they wanted to get back into the physical realm, either by possessing people or chimeras or animals, whatever way they could. And this is what it says here in the book Enoch. The spirits of the giants, now you call it today demons, demons, devils. So the spirits of the giants afflict, oppress, destroy, attack, do battle. In the last three years, we've seen some very strange things going on this planet of total disorder, chaos, madness, insanity. And you just wonder, who's the people running this planet? I don't know if they have sawdust for brains or what. <laughs> if they did, that would be a good excuse. But I think it's worse than that because they know exactly what they're doing. They're mad people, unfortunately. That's right. And it sounds similar to what it says here, doesn't it? Look, and the spirits of the giants or the demons oppress destroy attack is not what they're doing to our planet today do battle work destruction on the earth cause trouble look at this bit they take no food but nevertheless hunger and thirst and cause offenses oh, that's an incredible verse you got that backed up by the book of jubilees ten five. for these are malignant and created to destroy eight and these spirits shall rise up against the children of men and against women because they proceeded from them Explaining why the demons behave the way they do and why they hate us so much, because they came from man. Jubilees 10.2 And the sons of Noah came to Noah and told him concerning the demons which were leading astray and blinding and slaying the sons, his sons' sons. That's from Jubilee 10.2. So another very good book is Jubilees. One of my insights books is Jubilees. That has amazing details also about Enoch's time. This is the last bit I've got here. Chapter 16, 1. From the days of the slaughter and destruction and death of the giants, from the souls of whose flesh the spirits having gone forth, shall destroy without incurring judgment. In other words, these demons like today that are running countries now, taking over instead of the politicians and people above them are nasty beings that don't have any sanity. They're taken over. Well, what does God say about them? Well, they're not going to incur judgment they're going to get away with it until the judgment of God. All right, this is where I'm going to finish here. It says, From the days of the slaughter and destruction of the death of the giants, 
So they got destroyed in the physical realm, but then they came back as evil spirits, and they've been in trouble for men and women ever since, for thousands of years. From the souls of the, whose flesh the spirits having gone forth shall destroy without incurring judgment. Thus they shall destroy until the day of consummation, the great judgment in which the age shall be consummated over the watchers and the godless, yea, shall be wholly consummated. Comment 1 in chapter 16 of Enoch Insights. Here the consummation means the wrath of God. The demons which are the spirits of the giants, some of which shall roam free until the wrath of God. They are finally locked up for good in the bottomless pit along with Satan. Notice that it clearly states that the demons shall not incur judgment until the wrath of God and also the final great white throne judgment. And this explains why the demons spoke the following to Jesus in his day on the earth. Matthew 8:29. And behold, the demons cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? And in conclusion, I'm just going to say this. For those who are wondering, why did God not forgive the fallen angels or the sons of John? Why didn't he forgive them, apart from them being completely mad? Yeah, why? The truth is, there's no peace without the Prince of Peace, Jesus. It's another whole story we could talk about and i can tell you how i know how i got the information there's a whole story of that from before creation what is it that caused satan to fall it was that one day there was a great presentation before all of heaven where god brought forth jesus as the one to inherit everything and satan thought it should be him he had the choice of good or evil so that's when satan fell now because they rejected jesus the son of god right before creation once Satan and the fallen angels came to the earth, there was no more possibility of them being forgiven because they rejected the Son of God. Right. Now, that's a big topic itself. We can talk more about it on another occasion. That will whet your appetite to think about that one. And also what I mentioned before, what's it like in heaven? Some people think that um, there's no relationships in heaven. There's no male-female relationship. You don't have any of that sort of thing. I think you're going to get a big surprise when you get up there. That'll be interesting. Okay, that's Steve signing off for now. And um, I do encourage you, please do get my Insights books. I think you'll find them illuminating. I think they will inspire you, encourage you, and sometimes it'll make you emote and maybe cry. But uh, why, my hope with the books is to help people to get closer to Jesus, get closer to the spirit world, and to know the truth of what's happened the last 7,000 years. I'm trying to connect from the book Enoch to the end. To the end of all things the whole history 7,000 years of history that's what I'm trying to connect people to so they're more aware of it and they spend more time reading God's word because that's what gives me the greatest happiness is reading God's word Nightlight. you're listening to an international edition of Nightlight shining God's love light to the world and thank you so much, Steve. Fascinating as always. And before you go, please briefly tell us about your new Insights book, which I believe is the eighth in the series. Uh, this one is called The Testament of the Twelve Patriarchs. And it's been a very famous book, especially in the Catholic Church and the, to the Jews in Israel. It's been very famous indeed through the centuries, but people have forgotten about it. Like so many other things, people have forgotten things of great value. Right. But what is so amazing about the, the Testament of the Twelve Patriarchs is they really tell you how to live your life. And they show you that in their time, people stuck together. Families stuck together. People worked together. 
It wasn't like in modern times where families fall apart on the slightest pretext because there's nothing to cement them together. That's right. If you want to know more about that and about working together and fighting together as a team, building things, you need to read my next book, which will be called Insights into the 12 Patriarchs. Looking forward to reading it, Steve, and maybe I'll even record an audiobook of it. Thanks very much for this impromptu interview. <laughs> a lot of fun as usual, a lot of fun. Thanks very much. And you'll find a link to where you can find Steve's Enoch Insights book below. If you have any questions for Steve, you can put them in the comments section. I'll look forward to being back again soon with you for another Nightlight podcast. Until then, may the Lord bless and keep you. Bye-bye.